0: Welcome to another episode of the Heartship Journey podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm your host, Andrea Mauser, a mindset and personal growth coach. Today, my guest is Bridget Hamilton, who shares about her journey with Guillain-Barre while pregnant with her fourth child. Guillain-Barre is a very rare disorder in which your body's immune system attacks your nerves. Bridget's health quickly deteriorated in a matter of only several days, going from having tingling in her feet on a Friday evening while at a Carrie Underwood concert, to being unable to walk on Sunday and in intensive care on Wednesday. Bridget spent an extensive amount of time in the hospital. And with the support of her family and finding motivation and the reminders of her accomplishments made day to day, Bridget had success in learning to swallow, sit up and walk, things we really take for granted day to day. Also, be sure to check the show notes for a link to the video Bridget's family put together. It's a dynamic showcase of what she went through And will leave you truly inspired. It sure inspired me. Bridget's story is simply amazing, and I'm so honored to have her a part of our episode today. Thanks for listening. Well, I'm so happy to sit and talk with you, Bridget, today um, to talk more about your hardship in life and maybe i'll just let you kind of kick things off and introduce yourself a little about yourself and your family and then we'll kind of go into the hardship of our conversation today
1: sounds good um yeah i am i was i've been born and raised in dubuque um my husband and i we were married 16 years ago he's from the quad cities uh we are both teachers we actually um started teaching in Dubuque together at an elementary school. I'm now in a different one from him, um, but he's still there. We're our kids. We have four children. Um, my oldest is 13, Lauren, and then um, Sophia's 11. Michael is nine, and Georgiana just turned eight. So um, very uh, family-oriented. I literally live across the way from my sister and only a few blocks from my parents. Um, I have two older brothers that both live out of town. And um, family played a huge role in my whole journey and recovery, and so it's always been very, very important to me.
0: Interestingly enough, it sounds as though your your hardship kind of took place on what should be a fun night. Yes, yeah, yeah. Take us back to that.
1: Yeah. So um, this was almost nine years ago. Um, I was thirty, and I'm pretty active. Person, you know I liked being active uh, having three children at the time my activity was more chasing them around than uh, my own personal activity but um yeah I had actually the night before I was with a group of friends we, we played Bunko and I remember going and my, my face looked like I had been crying all day and I was like what is going on why is my face like starting like it just seemed weird to me and I remember going guys, I'm good. Like, I had my body. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm, Allergies. Yeah, like, I'm getting I just, older. Yeah. So, like, I'm like, hmm, what is this? So, didn't really think anything of it. Next day, I went to work, um, Friday. And then, um, my sister and brother-in-law and another couple, we were, we went down to the Quad Cities to a Carrie Underwood concert. Um, as we were driving down, my feet, um, started falling asleep. And I was like, were like tingling and i'm like okay i thought maybe it was sitting funny in the car just kind of kept moving them um went to the concert enjoyed it but the entire time my feet are just tingling kind of up to my calves and i just kept wiggling my feet and i thought gosh this just is weird but okay i don't know so went to bed that night came home went to bed When I woke up the next morning, the tingling was now in my hands and arms. And I'm like... And your feet still? Yes, still in my feet. Yeah, so it spreads. So now my feet and legs are tingling and my hands and arms are tingling. So Chad, my husband, he took me in. He goes, we better take you in. And um, actually, I was 10 weeks pregnant at the Mm. time. And so that was kind of concerning to me too, like what's going on ironically, um, when I was in the ER, they did some blood gas, different things, and my CO2 levels were low. So they sent me home with basically a brown bag and said, I think you're just hyperventilating. You just need to breathe into this bag a little bit and whatnot, and I was like, okay. And so I'm like, well, I better call my OB. You know, I better give him a heads up that this happened, and when I called them, he was like, just so you know, none of those symptoms have anything to do with your pregnancy. Those are, and I was like, oh, great. And he goes, lower CO2 levels is normal when you're pregnant. So I was okay. like, yeah, okay. So that's probably not the answer. Um, so I wasn't feeling well. Um, actually, ironically, Chad went to get me some ice cream that night. Um, this was Saturday night. And when he came home to turn down our street, our neighbor was flying up on the wrong side of the street and totaled his car Mm. head on. Um, He was unharmed, which we're very grateful for, but um, that added a little craziness to the evening, and then Sunday morning when I woke up, I went to go up a step. I went to step with, like, my left foot, and I I couldn't step up on the step. I was like, Chad, like, I'm... I'm like, you know, my mind's telling my leg to do it. I'm lifting my leg up, and it was not strong enough to get me up the step. I'm like, what is going on? So we typically would like go to church so and then go to my parents. And so then we, uh, Chad took me to my parents' house just to relax and rest while they went to church. And by the time they got back from church, I was, yeah, just feeling worse. I don't even know how to describe it. I just didn't feel myself and was like I said not moving like comfortably I guess you would say so I went back to the ER and um, so were you able to walk able to walk is, at that point okay yep, able to walk and for just a short period of time longer um and actually Chad was finishing up a job my mom and I joke about this um when the ER doctor came in, and one of the first things he did was check my reflexes. And um, one of the first things to go when you have gambre are your reflexes. And I remember the doctor pounding on my knee, nothing like pain, but like nothing, like no reflex. And he's just like hitting it and hitting it and like looking at me like, what's sh- going on? You like, should have a reflex. Your, why are your knees, are your legs not going out? So it's kind of funny. Um, so then they, that's when they went and got a neurologist. So I was very grateful. I, I attribute a lot of my um, recovery to the phenomenal health care that I have, both here yeah. in Dubuque and in Iowa City. Um, so a neurologist came in. At this point, now I'm getting scared. They're bringing the neurologist in. I'm having trouble walking. I was like, what is happening to me? I mean, am I going to walk? Like, am I getting an illness that is irreversible? And so starting to get scared um, and they did a spinal tap because uh, the neurologist had a hunch that it was Guillain-Barre, which I'm very fortunate because it's, it's very uncommon. Um, a lot of times, uh, unfortunately, patients, it's not diagnosed soon and early enough and that makes a big impact on the recovery. And um, so I did a spinal tap and they confirmed uh, that it was Guillain-Barre. So then um, they said that they were going to need to admit me and I was going to need to be in the hospital for 10 days because I need to do these plasmapheresis treatments and it's every other day and it's five rounds. And I was like, 10 days, like who is in the hospital for 10 days? Like I just couldn't get over it. This would have been the weekend before Thanksgiving. Um, by the time that evening on Sunday that I was admitted, I was no longer able to walk. So uh, in the just few short hours, um, Chad was, uh, I remember kind of holding on to his shoulders from behind as he would try to help me get to the bathroom because I couldn't walk. He'd like literally kind of carry me and the pain was starting to sit in. 20% of people with the had pain with it and mm-hmm. I seemed to write the brochure for this illness yeah. at the time. And is that oh, like if
0: we can just talk about what that is. Is it a nervous? Oh, what Guillain-Barre is. Yes. yes.
1: Okay, great. Um, yeah, so um, Guillain-Barre is an uh, autoimmune disorder where my body started attacking itself. So, um, ironically, it typically occurs after you've had an infection or something where your you know, body is trying to fight something and it mistakenly starts attacking the nervous system. I was not sick, um, hadn't had any operations, did not have a flu shot, which back in the day um, that had caused it, but not anymore. Um, So I'm still kind of one of those that they're not quite sure. They possibly even think my pregnancy could have caused it. Um, So what was happening is um, like your nerves are kind of like a cable cord. And so that plastic piece on the outside, that's what was getting attacked. That was getting completely taken down and um, and it happens it was happening very quickly for me and I soon learned the faster you go down the longer it is to come back up Um, so what was happening um, was my nerves were getting attacked Um, the pain as this is happening was awful like i have had four children and this pain just doesn't even come close to it um so i was in so much pain but i also was 10 weeks pregnant and i was in dubuque so they were like i mean like tylenol was about the only thing they were trying to give me for medicine and um it was it was excruciating i had a hard time My, my family we joke about it now how difficult um I was at times of just after about five minutes of getting me situated then I'm like freaking out like I need to move I need to move my legs somebody move my legs somebody move my arms Um, this was very restless for my family Um, that Monday morning they put me right into surgery to get a port inserted for these treatments and then I had my first treatment and um, by that time I was on um, some oxygen support, um, because they were watching carefully, um, for my diaphragm to get, cause, um, can be impacted by this for my breathing. And so, um, it's crazy. My kiddos came up, I saw them and then, um, didn't know that when I saw them, I wasn't going to see them for a while because that Wednesday morning when I went in for my second treatment, my sister was with me, and this is my least proudest moment of this entire journey. Um, I was, so they did plasma phresis, and there's IVIG also, that they, two ways to kind of treat this. The plasma is more, um, take your blood out, clean it, and put it back in. Um, IVIG puts in this, um, puts it into your system to try to flush it out. Because I was pregnant, they didn't want to put anything in. But the plasmapheresis takes hours, like, for it to come out. So the amount of pain I was in, and then you're taking my blood out and cleaning it, I really wasn't in any, I didn't really have any type of pain medicine or anything supporting me. Um, so I remember laying there, my sister was with me at that time. And, um, yeah, I just got to a point where I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. Like can't handle the pain anymore. Like, I just, it's too much. And my sister, who is my twin sister, she like just got in my face and just was like, stop this. You have three kiddos at home. You've got this. Like, focus. We've got this. We're going to be fine. And like I said, my least proudest moment as a parent, as this whole journey, to think that I would have a moment of weakness of giving up but but I um, fought through but that that day was um, that was a big day I um, that morning when they wheeled me back to my room the hardest part is my blood pressure I have a hard time um, keeping my blood pressure stable and my body temperature and when they wheeled me back to my room my blood pressure dropped to 60 over 30 and I just crashed and um my sister went running to the hallway somebody get in here whatnot and that's the last I remember of the day and it was in the morning and then the next memory I have of that day is late in the evening waking up and I was in the intensive care unit and um Chad said came in and he's like So for me, like, I went from, yeah, I was uncomfortable and, you know, in pain or whatnot. And then he comes in and he's like, Bridge, it's just, you know, it's not going well. You know, you're, you're, it's just, your breathing's starting to get more labored. Your levels are getting off. And, um, it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and the doctor, um, who's phenomenal. He, he, he just doesn't think we have enough hands and eyes here in Dubuque, um, for the level of, um, that you're going down so quickly, and they are going to airlift you to Iowa City right now, and that was, I was like, what? Like, what? Like, you know, I already was shocked about 10 days in the hospital, and I'm like, I'm, I'm doing what? Like, it just, it didn't sink in to me yet. I didn't really quite realize it. So, immediately, my parents and husband left, and my sister stayed with me to um, get me to stay with me until the, the helicopter and everything arrived and got me there um, like I said with the pain, it was, my sister was trying to advocate, so when you go on this helicopter it's crazy, um, my feet are under the dashboard and I'm my head is sitting next to the paramedic who's monitoring me and then in front of him is the pilot and um, I, at that point, putting pillows under my knees was helping with the pain and they came and and the minute they started moving on, it was very painful. And my sister was like, whoa, whoa, wait. And I kind of looked at her like, yeah, no, that ain't... <laughs> she's going into this small space. There's no... Uh, she's getting strapped down and she's going in. And so um, it was It was hard. It was a very painful ride. And they yeah. told me it was going to be about 25 minutes. And so, and of course you can't talk to them. You know, I've got this big earmuff thing, sound things on. And... I took off and I'm you know been a while and I'm just like, God, And I had a blood pressure cuff on my arm and they had told me it would be going off every five minutes to not be alarmed mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I was like, God, you've gotta be getting there. And so then I started paying attention to my blood pressure cuff going off. I'm yeah. like, okay, how long is this time? I bet it went off four or five times. I'm like, God, that. And so finally when we landed and they said, They hit a bad um, top wind or high wind I don't even know what it was but it took almost an hour oh my gosh to get there and so um, when I arrived I actually didn't arrive terribly too much ahead of um, my husband and parents because um, they showed up very quickly after I you know the whole works of getting me back down into the ICU there so yeah so it how quickly Friday night, I'm at the Carrie Underwood concert. Sunday, I'm not walking. Wednesday, I'm in intensive care, oh and I it out too. It went very quickly. Like still hard to believe when yeah. I think that I can say it out loud. Oh my gosh. gosh! Yeah. And
0: and you're you were down in Iowa
1: City for so it was in Iowa City months. um fifty days 50 yep days. and then back here another um thirty five days. Another five weeks here at Mercy after that. Yeah, they, um, it, it it's always interesting because um, I had just the best health care. I'm just so grateful. And um, I have a friend of mine whose dad's a doctor, and I remember I had went back to visit when I had to go back and breathing tests or different things. And, um, and when I left, I had left, there was A lot of doctors, you know, you get there for 50 days, you know the staff pretty well, and and he just said, you know, Bridget, people that spend that much time in the ICU don't usually end the same way you did, and, like, these are the stories us as doctors need to see and, Mm. like, have, and and so it put a perspective on things of how really fortunate that I was um, to make it out, especially being so... So sick. So that Wednesday, um, Thursday was Thanksgiving. Um, my family all came around, um, but Friday is, or er, sorry, Sunday. Then I crashed, and that's when my lungs collapsed. Um, everything, and that's when I was put on life support. Wow. So, oh my God, I was very grateful to be in Iowa City where I had sharp eyes on me the entire time and and doctors that have seen this type of illness and um, cardiac doctors helping with me My heart rate was a big big issue a lot throughout it and um, so yeah real quickly I I turned very 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 critical yeah um, and how did your pregnancy progress yeah so that was obviously very scary Um right around that time that i had crashed because um then when they would do something or put medication or something chad was like the biggest advocate now remember she's pregnant now remember she's pregnant and the scariest part was um they said we can no longer treat her as a pregnant um person like a woman that um If mom's not here, baby's not here. And we no longer can, Mm -hmm. we just have to keep her alive. And, um, which was hard. So I, the fact that I have an eight-year-old running around today, um, is nothing short of a miracle. Um, the amount of drugs that I was on to, um, help from everything from my heart to the pain. I mean, I was on a lot of heavy narcotics for my pain. Um, was very, very, very bad, and um, the fact that I have a healthy daughter at the end of all this is just it is. a constant reminder of, you know, yeah, how how grateful I am, but I don't know why, but I'm, I'm very grateful that they let this be a happy ending for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And... I mean, you, you probably had to go through the whole process of learning to walk again, or was it yeah, so, muscle memory, or um, how that
1: work? Yes, it was absolutely crazy. Um, so in the hospital, be, I think it was probably almost three weeks before they were even able to get me out of my bed. So the amount of, one, just the illness attacking my nerves, not allowing me to do it, um, and just being in a bed, not moving, um, anyone healthy being in a bed. Um, that takes a toll on Mm -hmm. your body and um, so it was slow slow process on movement we would get very excited if so I couldn't move anything couldn't move my neck couldn't I could only communicate with my eyes and I was um, on a ventilator so I had a huge tube going down my throat and um, and that was the other odd thing is typically when you're um, intubated you're usually put in a medically induced coma, um, just obviously for the um, uncomfortableness of whatnot. For me, they couldn't do that because we were trying to see my progress, see if I was getting any movement back, um, if anything was triggering, if I was bouncing back yet, or if I was still going down. Um, So I couldn't really mouth anything, obviously I had this huge tube in my mouth and all these wires coming out of me. So it was, my eyes was my communication. And we would, I would blink and they'd say the alphabet and that's how we would communicate. So it was, a, I think, like 75, 80 days before I, uh, that I went without talking because of uh, after two or three weeks, they, still needing life support, they put, um, I had a trach inserted, which was a big relief for me of getting this tube out of my mouth. Um but I, obviously I still couldn't talk or anything like that. Um, and the feeding tube was put in my stomach instead of my nose. So it just was, made me feel a little bit more human again, um, having my face kind of back and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, so that was, um, it was a big deal when I would like wiggle a toe or lift a finger or, or whatnot. So it was about 20, 20, 25 days that I finally, they had a big lift. they put something under me and lift me out of my bed and put me into a chair. And so those would be my physical therapy while I was in the ICU of, you know, they just be kind of lifted my arms, trying to just get my joints and things moving. Um, yeah, my flexibility, everything. I could barely touch my knee, let alone, you know, my toes or anything like that. Um, to put in perspective, by day 50, when I mo- when I was transferred back to um, Dubuque, I was able to, they could get me up to the side of the bed, and I could last maybe like 30 seconds or a minute sitting on the side of the bed. Um, but I had no core strength. Like, for me, I felt like my insides were being smushed. Like, I felt mm-hmm. like my ribs were sitting on my mm-hmm. hips, and I'm just like... Oh my god! Like, are we done yet? Or are we done yet? Because I just I didn't obviously have the strength. Um, but it's the little things I needed to pay attention to because I had a very hard time with the slow progression of uh, my progress. And looking back, um, it it it's not as slow as I felt like it was in the moment. And uh, my mom and husband and them had started a journal when it all started. Which was helpful for me to remember, okay, look where you were yesterday, mm-hmm. look where you were just a week ago, Yeah. Um, and use that as my motivation. And so when I was transferred to Dubuque, and that was my main focus, I had physical therapy twice a day and occupational therapy, um, and the goal was to be able to get me um, walking again. Yeah, it's just, um, just a simple eat. I had to learn how to eat all over again. I didn't know how to swallow. I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know how to, um, yeah, do anything. I remember the first, one of the first things they tried to get me to, to help with my core is laying on your back and just lifting your hips up and just lift your hips off the bed. And I'm like trying, you know, day after day trying and, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. And it almost was um, kind of funny, like Chad or my sister or someone would be like, Let me try this like because i made it look so hard (laughs) and they're they're like okay like you know kind of put in perspective how hard it was and then um eventually when i was trying to learn how to do a sliding board transfer into my wheelchair so i would no longer need this massive lift to get me out of my bed always Mm -hmm. and they were trying to teach me to just literally scoop scoop my butt like an inch And I was trying, and that's how it was every little thing I learned. You know, I felt like I was doing it, and I got, there was nothing happening. And then, and I was so frustrated. And um, I looked at, I think my mom and sister were there that day, and I go, how can you watch me? Like, is this not depressing? Like, you're staring at me, and I can't even scoot. I can't even, like, move an inch on this this, um, bench. And my mom goes, No, because we just watched you fight for your life and prayed for movement. This is like a celebration. This is incredible. Like, no, this is not. This is this is what we've been waiting for and hoping was going to happen this entire time. Which those kind of things I needed to keep keep me going and keep in perspective. Not that I I don't think I played a poor me like too much, but like I wouldn't myself. I'd get frustrated. Um, I'd get very frustrated. The The transfer back to Dubuque was bittersweet for me. When I was in Iowa City, my, my best and worst days was when my kids came to visit me. Um, I had a picture of them like taped right to my bed. They were my motivation. And, um, they were my motivation and they at the time Lauren was four Sophia was not three yet and Michael was about 11 months old Um, and so they were my motivation and so it was like my absolute favorite days looked forward to the most and then my worst nights because it was just so hard on me seeing them go and like being so far away from them and so when I got, found out that I um, was getting transferred back to Dubuque, I was so excited because I could finally see my kids more and be, it was going to be better on everybody. Or so I thought, you know, in town, people are traveling every day back and forth to see me and, and whatnot. And so um, when I got back to Dubuque, I guess I just had this... Um, this vision, like, I don't know, like I thought everything was gonna be like perfect and better or whatnot. And then I, I had the mindset that I felt like, which was not true, but I felt like everybody got, their world was getting back to normal. Like they're all living at home now, they're back. And I'm in this 10 by 10 room, still helpless, still not talking, still not walking, still unable to even turn myself over in a bed. And I'm like, so it was, it was very hard on me mentally and their lives weren't back to normal. They were stressing just, you know, they, now they're at home trying to do more and, um, and still support me. And so I battled with that. Um, I battled with that a lot when I was here in town, um, inpatient because I just, I did. I had a little poor me like this sucks. I'm. I'm sitting in this room still, like I don't know. I thought it was going to be different. I don't know what I thought. It's not like I can move what I left, but I just and so, um, one of my neurologists had recommended me talking with someone, and it was the best thing I ever did because, um, like I said, my family is so supportive and, and so was always there for me, um, but they too were kind of like. Bridget, why are you sad? Like, you need to be happy about this. Like, look at the progress and stuff. And I just couldn't see that. And that was frustrating to hear it from them. So I, like, talking to someone that was, like, completely disconnected from the situation. Mm -hmm. So that when I hear them give me advice or tell me something, I'm not... Thinking in the back of my head that they have a different reason, or they're trying, and they think something else, but they're saying that you know it just. Or you should say, "Cause you're my mom." Yes. Yeah. You say, yeah you're you're just saying that. Yeah. Exactly. And I just that was the best thing for you know I've been working so so hard at my physical health and well being yeah. that um, it was time to take care of my mental well being and get myself in the right mindset too, and not be so sad and not and I. I needed to be in a better spot just for for my physical um, journey as well so um, yeah that was hard I was used to someone with me 24 7 so um, when I was in ICU in Iowa City I not be not being able to move I couldn't even hit a call button if I wanted to Um, they had one Kind of that they can put by your head that you can kind of if you can get there. Um, but it's a very, very scary, scary feeling. So my family is incredible and I always had someone next to me. They like had three hour shifts and they joke about when they were leaving the next one was coming on. Oh, it's a good one. <laughs> oh, it's a good day. It's a bad day. Um, I remember um, like what I would want their hand. At first, I, their hand, I couldn't even have their hand on my hand because my hand wasn't strong enough to make a movement. So they would put my hand on theirs that I could make some type of, like, gesture um, to catch their... That was, like, my security blanket. I just needed that. Um, really, the biggest thing was the pain. If I needed to read. And then with my trach, there's just a lot of... I needed a lot of suctioning, cleaning that out so my airway, the trach was clear for me to breathe and sometimes that would not be and that's a very huh, horrible feeling when you're like it's clogged and you can't breathe and you can't and you tell can't anyone, change. you can't move so, if like you're hostage in your own mind yes, and body. yeah, and, and the and that kind of I'm kind of hopping around too, but my mind was 100% with it and I think sometimes we lose track you know when you see someone so in that state you think they're kind of out of it or whatnot but I'm like this is all going on I am lying there watching it happen like my mind is there I'd say the first week or so um in the ICU I probably remember the least because I think that's when I had the most intense amount of medication that kind of um knocked me out a little bit like you know m- my days seemed to have gone faster to me mm-hmm. then or if you talk to my family those were like the longest days mm-hmm. obviously my yeah. heart had stopped at one point they talked about putting pacemaker in because they couldn't get my heart rate regulated um so yeah that helplessness of um having but I always had someone next to me and um so then we get back to Dubuque and I get it. My husband, Chad, he'd been off this whole time. Our district was wonderful and, and he needed a little bit of normalcy back in his life and even for our kids. Um, so he was trying to go back to work part time in the mornings and luckily my mom was retired and could come up and help with my PT sessions or whatnot. But I remember when he was talking about that and I was like, no. Like how can you go back to work like i am i'm still here like i'm still you know and just selfish of me it was just selfish and um what was best for everybody was that but i just i had become so accustomed to having someone next to me all the time but it was good for me to gain my independence and confidence and i was i was starting to be a little bit more mobile i'm moving my arms and i can and I, by the time I got to Dubuque I could move my arms and things like that mm-hmm. and so um yeah I, I'm, I'm forever grateful for my family support my mom had retired the year before um so I'm lucky that she was accessible and um my sister she took a lot of time off in between to be back and forth to try to to be there as much as work would allow mm-hmm. and um so, yeah, it was, um, I don't know if I got off on a tangent there or what, but, um, What led you to be able to come back to Dubuque? Did you make so much progress that had been measured or was it just? Yes. Um, good question. I, um, we had been monitoring. It was basically, um, to get me out of the ICU, I needed to get off life support. So, um, probably, um, middle of December. So I came back to Dubuque, uh, January 3rd, um, middle of december they started testing taking me off the life support and trying to test my breathing on my own super scary um that was more of a mind game for me than i needed i almost needed them to not tell me when and what because i panicked like i just felt so it started slowly where they would um um take the pressure off for short amount of time just see if my lungs could handle that initiation and, and breathing on their own, um, and then they would do it. Um, they would so it was like an hour at a time, like it was a big feat. lasted an hour, um, off pressure support, and you know that was a big day, but that was very exhausting for me then. Yeah. So that would that would wipe me out. Um, so it was a very slow process, and probably actually it was my Michael, my Mikey's first birthday. Um, on the 27th of December was the first day I made it without really? the life support <laughs> I was like um, so I actually was they were ready to transfer me to kind of a different unit within the hospital but um, there wasn't a bed open and so what ended up happening which I loved is I stayed in my ICU room and bed and mostly my nurse's I just had to get I got switched to a different group of doctors mm-hmm. then I was no longer monitored by the ICU doctors I was on this respiratory um, doctor unit and um, so it was a big day it was a celebration but again for me I, the whole time change was super hard for me I mean it was like a goal and something I wanted but it was always very hard for me I was very comfortable with my doctors they knew me and yeah. I'm like who are you putting me with and so everything is always scary for me and anyone that knows me that is not a shocker that I would be worried or, mm-hmm. um, overthink something.
0: Um, and you're still not able to communicate other than your eyes at this Yes. Point.
1: And so, yep, I, we would do our, my blinking and, and things like that. I tried with, once I had the trach, I could try to lip if pretty much my sister would be the only one that, um. I tried to get that as an excuse to get her out of work. Like, she's my translator. Like, she knows. I just start saying, like, she gets one word. She knows the whole thing that I'm ready to say. Like, um, that didn't cut it. Um, But, yeah, she, um, so I would, we quickly learned that we needed to, I needed to lip and get my questions out for the doctor ahead of time. Because when they make their rounds, they... Um, they don't have time to wait for me to like spell out I <laughs> <by> letter <laughs> and question, um. But you know it was a huge celebration day. I um, it's just one of my favorite memories of it all was um, the day I got to leave, and I think um. Just about every nurse that I ever worked with, any doctor, anybody, even the ones not even on call or you wow. know their time, everybody came. To like see me off and um, and it was awesome and the the crazy part was so getting back to being pregnant and no longer treating me as a pregnant um, woman I just kept faith and um, there was one at one point that I thought maybe I had lost the baby and but we had they come and do fetal checks heart rate checks they're supposed to come often and and Chad was a big advocate to make sure the OB unit came down and just checked that. That was about as much as they could do for me with that. And um, I remember as we were literally leaving and walking away, or uh, riding away in my bed, but um, my mom says, we'll be back, and we're going to bring the baby. And everyone's cheering, and then, like, once she says that, it kind of was, like, a low. And you could just tell everyone was just, like... I don't know how how is how is a baby gonna make it out of this Mm -hmm. like um like you know it was just kind of one of those awkward then moments of okay but I just um I continued I felt good I had my OB doctor in town here she's phenomenal and she kept a very close eye on me and made sure I once I got there she's like all right no more of these meds you know she kept a very close eye on me and um I remember at twenty weeks I was still in the hospital, and um, we were going to do an ultrasound, and I just remember thinking, like, it was. I've never been more scared for an ultrasound. I mean, like, is my baby gonna have five? What, like, what are they gonna find? I've been on life support. I've been on narcotics. I have my heart rate has literally stopped for eight seconds. Like, how is this gonna impact? And did the ultrasound and found out we were having a baby girl and for the most part of everything everything panned out like everything was what it needed to be and I was just I mean again like it's nothing short of a miracle I just I just still to this day I don't I don't some people do everything right in a pregnancy and and unfortunately don't have that same outcome and and I, I was the person that didn't even take Tylenol when I was pregnant, let alone anything stronger. Um, so, was very fortunate. Being pregnant was um, difficult with, you were asking about learning to walk and all that again. Because as I was, I've lost about 25 pounds while I was Gosh. in Iowa City. Yeah. So, I was down 25 pounds, which is not what you want when you're pregnant. Um, and... I was still on my feeding tube. Like I said, I still didn't know how to really eat. Maybe the last week before I was sitting, they were trying to get me the good old parade food. You know, like I was learning how to swallow, like soft things. Yeah. Um,
0: Envisioning an ice cream. Yeah, you know, know and, more like, tasty. All, and
1: all I wanted to do was like chug a glass of ice water. And mm-hmm. even my liquids were thickened. Everything, like nothing. So they, I would have these tests where they a camera and watch to see if I was swallowing correctly or whatnot. Um, so yeah, lost 25 pounds and so not what you want when you get to, de- when you're pregnant. And so we ended up as even though I was learning how to eat, um, we kept the feeding tube a little bit longer for feedings while I was um, sleeping at night. We turned the feeding tube on just to keep trying to get more nourishment. And I ended up being eight pounds ahead at the end of it all. So I gained eight <laughs> pounds on my last pregnancy. Um, and we kind of joke about that, but, um, and I laugh because I was on a feeding tube for so long. Like my, my stomach gotten so little, you know, and yeah. when I started eating again, I mean, I would eat a few bites and it felt like I ate a Thanksgiving dinner oh. and, um, and like, you know any other time I would be okay with having an abbreviated appetite <laughs> but when I know I've already lost 25 pounds and I've got this baby and I'm like just trying to do whatever I can to make yeah. sure it's getting every possible nutrients again um, and I quickly I quickly stretched that thing out once I learned to eat again and you know wish could, yeah so it was kind of the running joke of could we get this maybe not you know after the baby is born when you're trying but um, so yeah i mean it's just the day um delivery day was um all set up planned obviously because um it was very scary um we didn't i was scared for multiple obviously multiple reasons but um i was scared for an epidural mm-hmm. um the thought of having no feeling in my legs again oh, gosh. petrified me and like is it going to come back um they didn't think um so with this illness, fatigue is major. It was I had fatigue for years after. Um, they didn't think if I didn't have something that I would have enough strength mm. to push the baby out. They did not want to do a C section because that would really delay my recovery. Um, because yeah, obviously, C section major. I it would really because I was still just. I mean, I was walking, don't get me wrong. Um, Like, I couldn't, I couldn't hold, walk and hold Georgie. Like, I couldn't, I had to be sitting down and someone had to hand her to me. Like, my arms were not strong enough to just do those type of things. So, we had her delivery day scheduled. I had an anesthesiologist. I had my, her her baby doctor ready to go. Um, My OB. And um, they gave me enough of an epidural to, like, take the edge off. Um, but not not as much as I would have had with any of my other children. Um and I just talk about an emotional moment. It was like the last thing checked off the list of this like crazy journey. Like, holy buckets, I have like she's here and she was healthy and um I was healthy. I I it all went well for me. Um I mean I just I'm forever grateful. I just I um and it's funny well, Georgie you saw earlier of, you know, she yeah. she's proud of being my little miracle girl mm-hmm. and she she just we have that little bond of this story together yeah. and and whatnot and I she's just going to do big things in life, yeah. I think. Because there's a reason why she's here and um, Yeah, I just how that happened is is beyond me how I yeah it's just crazy Well, I remember
0: was it th that they do a celebration for when you were yes. able to return to school
1: yeah so I had taught at Bryant with my husband Chancel teaches there my mom that's where she retired from mm. my sister was teaching there at the time and um, I had gone to elementary school so that, that school was like, good my blood, air. yes. And so, and just that summer, I had just um, transferred into a curriculum coordinator position at the central office. Um, so I wasn't at, that was the first year I wasn't at Bryant. And um, I got out of the hospital on Wednesday, and they did a, a welcome back assembly for me um, that Friday. And, yeah, the TH and had covered that story and it was and I I kid you not the amount of support that I had from the community from friends family colleagues um like my colleagues I still remember this funny moment in, in Iowa City my parents stayed and my sister they had a room at the Rossi house it's a where you can get a room in the hospital if you have someone in intensive care. And my dad would go he went to go pay for the week at a time and he came back and he's like, someone paid it. Like, it's already been paid and he's like and and my dad's like, Well I'll pay this, you know who? And he's like and he's like so, he's like saying this thing. And I'm just laying there in bed and I know exactly what it, he's like to And back in the day we would are, we would call us TOSAS, teachers on special assignment. <laughs> and, and and I'm just like, okay, somebody look over here. <laughs> like I know who this is. Like these are my people at work. You know, my colleagues oh, are my the God. ones and just trying to eventually they looked my way yeah. and I was able to communicate that to them so they knew who it was and like I said, they're just we were constantly taking care of my kids. Um uh my in laws were here with them most of the time when um Chad wasn't Chad would try to come back and have certain days. I just was so critical for such a long time. Yeah. It was very touch and go. So we wrestled with we bring the kids up to see me like that? Is that traumatizing or is that healthy? Um eventually we had them come up and whatnot, but I mean, the amount of, so it takes a village, you know, they say, and we just, I wouldn't be here yeah. without it. The prayers, the thoughts, everything.
0: Did you meet anyone else with
1: this? Um, actually, after the fact, I, um, so my parents had reached out when I was sick to the GBS CIDP Foundation. Um, CIDP is the chronic form. Uh, my GBS is the acute form, so I had it, and I really don't ever have to look back. Um, um, the chances of me getting it again would be the chances of you getting it in the first place. Okay. Um, CIDP is the chronic form um, where you don't get nearly as severe, but you slowly, like, you might also notice you can't button your buttons. You know, like, it just is and then you get the treatments like I had, um, and you kind of go on remission, but it's something that you battle with, like, um, so that foundation had sent us information, we learned about it, um, Chad had found a video of a, a young guy that, um, they had that showed, um, how bad it got, and then, and my family had watched the video, I couldn't watch it, um, until almost out of the hospital because I just... I couldn't... It just kept getting worse for me and I just couldn't watch a video and see something else and be like, oh my gosh, there's still that to go. Like, I still have to go through that before I'm going to come back on the other side of this. Um, So I just couldn't watch it, but it it was really helpful for Chad. I mean, he was just a rock through this entire thing it kept him with it's going to get better Mm. i know it's going to get better like it's it's going to get bad but it's it's going to get better and so when he saw that shortly after i was sick he started kind of documenting and taking pictures and videos of my entire journey and um, he wanted to put some type of video together Mm. because that video was so significant for him and that's how we came across making this video. Um, I joked, because my sister-in-law helped make it, and we had given all this footage. And she's like, I can't it like, down to four hours or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know people like to watch me, but I, I think we're going to have to narrow it down a little bit. So, no, we joked about it. And um, so she kind of put like the scope and sequence together, and then I it down into this like 30 minute video which i know is still pretty long um
0: it's so impactful i i remember watching it the first time and i was like i need more tissues like it was just like (laughs) i was so inspired to see the entire journey Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things i I was actually pregnant at that time too and i thought oh you know just the connection there like she's going through this but yet she's growing a baby Mm -hmm. and I, i just couldn't even put my hand on it like Uh it was amazing so I'm so glad that your family did that for you and I would love to be able to to share that with those who listen to this as well just because I feel like there's just inspiration that can be given and and knowing that things change quickly unexpectedly and the growth that you go through and the hard times and the hardships but just the perseverance behind it too
1: Yes.
0: and how are you today?
1: So today I people often ask are you 100% back? I would probably say I'm like 95% 95% one thing, um, I have residuals in my feet, um, I still have some numbness in my feet, um, it took, I mean, I still had tingling in my hands and feet, like, 35 years out, um, and, like, they say you're, the, the myelin sheet on my nerves, it, it only grows back a millimeter a day, and so, it's starting from my, you know, back, lower back, so, my feet and fingers were the last to to get it and to come back, but um, that is. And then the other thing is, um, it's kind of interesting being a twin. Um, I have a sense of where I am to where I was. Um, I remember we we shortly after um, Georgie was born, we actually moved into this house, and I know people probably thought we were crazy. Um, but I grew up on this side of town. My sister literally lives right there. Um, and at, prior to being sick, we were trying, we were looking for a house um, on the south side, and um, it just so happened that um, the owners of this house was hosting some jewelry party or something. My sister then she goes, "Well, I'm actually kind of your neighbor, and well, but we're probably gonna downsize." And my sister's like, "Are you? Could you? My sister would love to see the house, <laughs> you know, before if you ever if you were gonna move." Blah blah. So long story short. Um, the stars aligned and we were able to do that and and I mean if you you would have told me I was going to grow up across all right my kids were going to grow up across the golf course from their cousins um Mm -hmm. I would have never thought that would happen um but like we're moving and different things obviously I wasn't very helpful but there might be a simple thing so I remember like a table or something where I mean, I was a pretty active, strong person. You need someone to move a couch. I can move yeah. the couch with you kind of thing. But I knew I wasn't to that level. I was still in physical therapy. But, like, I'd be... Um, I went to kind of thought, oh, can I move this? Oh, no. I was like, oh, my God, this thing's heavy. And my sister comes in, and she was about... I go, oh, that's too heavy. And she, like, grabs it, picks it up, almost, like, with one hand and walks it out. And I'm like... That just put in perspective of... um how normal I looked, but how so far from the strength that I was prior to being sick. So that would be when I say my 95 is, um, my strength. Um, I did physical therapy probably an entire year, but eventually my insurance wouldn't allow it. Um, because basically I was mobile and functioning. Um, I fought, I fought, I won. Um, additional time with, with physical therapy um, because at first they're like well you've used your days you know my insurance or whatnot and I'm like this is the amount of days you give someone with a knee replacement for one one body part every single right. part of my body needs to relearn itself right and um and I was able to get extended time with my physical therapy and, um, but nothing to the point of, you know, I needed to continue to, um, you know, just weight, you know, just strength. Yeah. And so I was functioning, but you know, you're a mom of four, and I worked. Um, by that time I was back to work, maybe part time, but shortly after full time that following school year, and you're last on the list, you know, it's just, I mean, um, so, one thing I wish I would have, and I mean, I still could today, <laughs> put more time and energy in trying to build my strength back. Like I said, I was a basketball player, and I just remember going to shoot free throw. I mean, I shoot free throws all the time. Right. And I shoot it, and it goes about halfway to the hoop, and I'm just like, what? Like, you know, it's just yeah. those kind of things. So, that kind of strength. Um, I fatigue my arms and legs, just fatigue, easy, carrying my groceries in from the house. Just exhausts my arms, like they just get tired very yeah. quickly.
0: So that's really, I'm sure so many that things that we take for granted. Yeah. To, to be like, oh, this is fine.
1: But this also on a- the flip side of if that's all that I have to deal with, yeah. Um, I will take it ten times over. I um I'm a liaison in point of contact for the foundation now. So when anyone in the Midwest contacts the foundation and is looking for support, then um. They are passed on to me, and then I will call or even visit um, and talk to families and um, patients of it. And um, that's been very rewarding for me to be able to volunteer for that, um, for the foundation. And then every other year, there's a big symposium. And um, it's just going, it's like a long weekend type thing where it's a conference, you learn more about the illness yourself, and it's just very powerful to be around people that know what you're going through. Um, not that my family isn't supportive or whatnot, but um, because it's so rare that, you know, because there's not many people that yeah. have experienced it. And like I say, when I'm, my residuals are my weakness, and I go to this, and there are people still in wheelchairs, and there's people with walkers or um, a good friend that I have... Um, got to know who's another liaison out of Connecticut. Um, she actually contracted it in Germany way, way long time ago, in like the 70s, 60s. And unfortunately, the health care was not good, and she ended up, um, which I knew I was at a high risk of, I ended up having a stroke, um, wow. which has left her with a cane a little bit. So really, it's not the GBS residual of it, but it was an impact of that. So the fact that i get tired or my arms are sore or whatever i will take it 10 times over compared to what it could be and i'm just very grateful that i had quality health care doctors that knew and diagnosed it quick and um took care of me really well and my georgie has very little residuals um at six months we found out that she had low muscle tone um she we went in for a six month checkup and she was such a good little baby and no offense the youngest of four four under the age of five um she was chill but at her six month appointment um i had mentioned she wasn't really rolling over and then um i remember the doctor putting kind of a toy as she's laying on her back and she could not raise her arm to reach for the toy and i just one felt a lot of mom guilt like how did i miss this like three other kids how did I not realize she's delayed in that Um, so her low tone she went into physical therapy so she joined mom's world of physical (laughs) therapy Um, and uh, I just can't say enough about her therapist and she was delayed in walking she had a little walker for a while Um, and but she eventually so this girl who's delayed using a walker at 15 months um, at the age of three was riding a Oh my gosh. So um she's just never been one to to be stopped or shut down or yeah. anything. She it it just is she's my inspiration. Just Yeah, no, so she she's my, my little inspiration. She had that but she's surpassed that and overcome it and she is we did find out in kindergarten she is deaf in her left ear um and really the crazy part is you know i don't quite know if she if we just caught it in kindergarten um you know looking back after the she failed her kindergarten screener and looking back i remember her always like mom turn the music up or something in the car and i just thought oh she's like listening to music but after the fact you kind of learn okay she must but um and we haven't really been able to have a clear answer of 'Cause she passed her hearing screen when she was born. Mm. Um, of what caused it. But more likely than not, um, with either the antibiotics, the medications, different things that I was on, um, potentially could be the reason why mm. she lost that. Um so she's been a trooper about it. She has a little hearing aid that she wears and um, who uh, she's has been a regular is still solid so we're really hoping that stays solid yeah. um, but like I said if those are the two things that I'm worried about or have to deal with after all of this I just I'm just so grateful yeah. so grateful
0: what a perspective to have yeah. on things um, and I'd like to ask some questions of you know in, in thinking about what would you say to somebody who goes through a hardship
1: words of encouragement or thoughts I'm a big believer in God doesn't give us anything that we can't handle mm-hmm. um, and that's what I kind of kept telling myself too is um, the positive mindset has to be there because um, you have to have some type of motivation obviously my three young kids that were at home at the time and my family and my husband like I had a reason to want to get better I had a reason to want to just work hard and um, everybody should have a reason and whether you're in a state where you think there isn't anyone there is there always is somebody that um, that is rooting for you and, and needs you in their life and needs you to fight hard um, to be there and so um, yeah, but, like, it's not all roses. like I said, I was, I'd like to say, oh, I stayed so positive, and I, I, for the most part, I did, but no, I had, there's gonna be low moments, like I said, I was my lowest moment, I didn't think I could handle it in the beginning, and then being frustrated with my lack of progress, or my speed of progress, probably, um, so, knowing that it's not easy, and, Um, the other big thing is look at the small small progress because that's what I needed to do I needed to see where I was three days ago compared to where I was today in order to feel like I was moving along because just living in the moment I felt like I was in slow motion but um, those were just critical things that helped me the support system, like I said, I just had a phenomenal support system. which yeah. is just, just
0: grateful. There's a saying that I've heard that I, I just love, and it seems like you echo that. It's small hinges swing big doors, mm-hmm. you know, and to think the small steps that you were taking were just really impacting the downstream effect of mm-hmm. you getting back to the person that you were wanting to be mm-hmm. and as a mom and a wife totally. and teacher and
1: friend. I like that, yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, another hard thing is you just you have to be comfortable with where you're at and and have a goal. Um, one struggle with mine in my recovery was it was kind of like an invisible illness. I mean, I didn't have well besides my chronic scar, but I didn't have a visible thing. Once I was learning how to walk and I didn't have a walker and cane, I was functioning. I looked normal my body felt like I was 80 years old but i looked normal so that was hard for me um it was hard for me at work some people and don't get me wrong but like i just remember one day someone's like oh it must be, you know it must be nice to come in for a half day and work you know kind of like and i don't think they meant it but like they didn't understand that i'd already done two hours of physical therapy in the morning and then i came to work and And my body felt like I ran a marathon now. And then I have to go home. And my neurologist was very protective. She goes, your first job is your mother at four. I'm going to be very, very slow in releasing you back into the work world. Um, But that was hard for me. And I'm like other people with different battles, mental health battles, different things. Um, It's an invisible illness. You look... That, so that was hard for me. That was another reason why talking with someone was so important for me. Um, because, like I said, people look at you like... Like, I remember I had a handicap sticker for a while. We kind of joked when they gave it to me when I was in the hospital. And it was, like, 12 months. And I, I laughed to my sister, like, ooh, 12 months, handicap parking. Or should I be like, whoa, 12 months, I think I need handicap parking, you know? Yeah. And um, where I could... Walking was very fatiguing for me, and I remember using it once I was with my sister, and like I said, I looked normal, and so these people that are walking in the parking lot with us, this woman is just staring me down like no other, and just glaring at me, looking like, what are these two young women just parking in handicap, and my sister was not happy about it, and, and I go, it's just not worth it, just... If I've learned anything, it's not to judge myself. I I have been guilty of that same thing, you know, prior to being sick and being like, who's, what what's handicapped? You know, like you're walking in and you see someone. And I'm like, the fact that when I first got out of the hospital, I had to sit in the car. I couldn't even get out of the car to get into the store. And so, like just little things like that. I just, I if I've learned anything too, is everybody's got a story everybody has things going on that we just don't know and we need to I need to remember that and I remember that I try to remember that more than I don't and um but that's another huge thing that I I learned after kind of being on the other side of it yeah yeah
0: yeah and I think society just kind of has us programmed Mm -hmm. for that to think like external is one dimension as opposed to like Mm -hmm. taking a step back pausing or just appreciating really what somebody's going through and and not having to have them validate it or to explain it just to to be kind and just to care Mm -hmm. Way. so
1: do you have a like a song that lifts you up or inspires you um it's funny um There's a song that I connect to this is actually Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, it's kind of unique, it's ironic. My sister-in-law kind of had picked it early when we were supporting me, and yellow kind of was my color, and, um, she had this pin. And then when I was, it's so crazy, and my mom tells the story way better than I do, but, um, when I was in a very critical spot, um, shortly after in the ICU and I was crashing all that stuff, my mom was in the waiting room, and this woman started... She could hear a woman. There's like, a shower in the waiting room, you know, off the side. She could hear a woman singing in the shower somewhere over the rainbow, and she could hear it. And my mom is someone that's, like... She's not going to just, like, kind of hug a stranger or whatever kind of thing. And all of a sudden, this woman comes out from the bathroom, but completely clothed, dry. doesn't even look like she was even in the shower. And she just comes up and hugs my mom. What? And my mom, like, needed that. And she just said, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And um, I think she even told her where the chapel was at the hospital. And then, uh, I mean, it was just, like, the most odd thing. So then, Later, I don't, I mean, in close time, my mom was waiting to get on the elevator. And here comes this, here's this woman again. Really? And she, and my mom goes, she's, I just, I just need to, to thank you. Like, I, I just really needed that when, you know, thank you. And um, the woman had shared that she's here. Her husband has back problems, so she's here a lot or something. She had said that. And then she kind of was gone so my mom was asking around like who was the? yeah no one there's no one with bad problems no idea of who I mean like we just strongly believe it was just an angel just Absolutely. totally like looking out for us and comforting my mom when when she needed it and just giving her that faith um she had had some women's with um some with a just a nurse and kind of it, and Dubuque kind of pulled her aside and, like, braced her. Like, basically, you prepare. This isn't good. And, and she's just like, what are you telling me? It's my daughter going to die. And she's like, I'm just telling you it's not good. And, and so, like, that was something my mom needed, that kind of, like, sense of yes comfort. And, um, and so she was singing that song. My sister-in-law had already just. And then when I was back in Dubuque doing physical therapy, wholesome, my therapist, is humming this song somewhere over the ringo. and I'm just like why are you like out of the blue and he's just like I don't even know you know and then we tell him this I mean it's just oh my gosh so it's just that song just will always Absolutely. yeah have this like special meaning to me and um and whatnot. that like that's just it's just crazy how that it all worked and like I said my mom tells that story much better than I do but just the Whole big idea of it is just amazing like yeah. it just strengthens my faith and and everything
0: yeah so. yeah I'm kind of speechless because it's like just coming full circle mm-hmm. on like listening to everything that you just experienced and the strength you have that you're you know I know you can't those listening can't see us mm-hmm. but you know just a strong mm-hmm. strong woman mm-hmm. that i am so honored to have had a chance to talk okay. to you so thank you so much for I this opportunity you. yeah oh no,
1: thanks for letting me share my story i hope if it can help motivate her yes that's that's my goal
0: yes thank you bridget
1: mm-hmm. thank you thank you
0: Thank you so much for listening in to the Hardship Journey episode. It would mean so much to me if you would share this episode with a friend or family member or even post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me get the message out and I hope you feel inspired and motivated from listening to this episode and no matter what comes your way on life's journey, you can make your own Hardship Journey.